I always like to start the message with everybody awake, right? That's always a good thing. Um, uh, as Tony mentioned, we do have uh, Wild Game Feast tickets on sale. They are going relatively quickly. I think we're about 60% uh, of the tickets are gone at this point. Uh, so uh, if you want one of those, I would encourage you to get one very quickly. Uh, before we sell out because February is coming next week and once February hits they tend to go really really quickly uh, also if you are looking for an opportunity to serve uh, we would invite you to participate with us in the nursery uh, once every 12 weeks we need you to grab a friend or grab your spouse and uh, hang out with some adorable little ones uh, for about an hour and, uh, and provide an opportunity for their parents to participate in Sunday school. So if, if you are interested in that, see Jenny uh, Bowyer. Uh, is Jenny in here? Yeah, she is back there with one of her little sweet babies. Um, so uh, if you are interested in that, it's a, it's a fun time. Karen and I are doing it together. And, uh, and there are some others that are, have uh, signed up to do that as well. So if you'd like to be part of that, uh, it's, a, it's a good time. It's not very strenuous. You, you read green eggs and ham and pass out graham crackers and have some fun with little ones. So it's a good time. Uh, I encourage you to do that. Let's, uh, let's pray and then let's open God's word together. God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning recognizing our complete dependence on you. As Paul told the Greeks on Mars Hill 2,000 years ago, in you we live and we move and we have our existence. We are utterly dependent on you for everything. And Father, you in your goodness and your love for us have condescended to speak to us and to speak very clearly to us in your word. And Father, out of your love for us, you point us to the way that leads to life and to hope and to joy in this life and the next. And Father, we thank you for that. We pray this morning as we study your word that it would bring us life and joy as well. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you read your Bible, one of the things that is absolutely inescapable is God's desire for unity among his people says that God, in the New Testament several times, it says that God tore down the dividing wall between people, that he is making one new humanity out of diverse groups of people. And God is constantly announcing throughout the scriptures his intention and his desire to tear down barriers between people and to unify them as one people, his people, who belong to him and who love each other. But sometimes I think that people misunderstand what the scripture means when it talks about unity. Uh, in fact, as I was studying this passage this week, I, I ran across this little poem that I think encapsulates what a lot of people think the Bible means uh, by unity in the church. This is how it goes. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else you should confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat, 
and drink only what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. <laughs> right? Sometimes I think that's what people think we mean when we talk about unity in the church, that there's no room whatsoever within the church of Jesus Christ for any kind of diversity of opinion or appearance or dress or choice of food or any of it. It all has to be the same. It's not unity, it's uniformity. We all have to be stamped out like, you know, people cut out of a die or something, right? Is that true? No. No, that is not true. Uh, does becoming a, a Christian mean that we have to agree on every single issue? No. Does it mean we all have to dress the same and eat the same and think the same and vote the same about everything? No. It does not mean that. And we need to hear what God says to us on these things. And we... And, and, God addresses them all in Romans chapter 14. Uh, there are a number of things in this that are not specifically, a number of things that happen in life, a number of issues that we approach in life and deal with that are not specifically addressed in Scripture. And so Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter 14 one set of issues that were a, a big deal in the early church, but there are more than that. And this passage has wide application on a lot of issues. When I was growing up, uh, one of the issues in the church, it was a big issue at the time, was whether or not women should wear makeup. How, how many of y'all remember that? Some of you. Women should not wear makeup. I remember in my church, we had a big discussion about whether or not women should wear pants. Right? I said, well, I just prefer that they be clothed. I don't much care. Right. <laughs> but but and I remember Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was a, he was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in uh, Philadelphia, a historic congregation there, still one of the great congregations in that city. And he was asked, Dr. Barnhouse, should women wear makeup or not? And he said, well, I read my Bible and this is what I've concluded. If the barn needs painting, you should paint it. Right? I thought that was a great statement. Right? If you go south, if you go south, you'll find that lots of church people smoke and dip. If you go north of the Mason-Dixon, you'll find people who smoke and have that water too right there kind of look down on. If you go out to the West Coast, you'll find that some Christians believe that recycling is a very important part of creation care. And they look askance at those of us who put that stuff in the trash bag. Uh, in lots of places, you'll find Christians who don't eat meat of any kind. Lots of Christians have problems with tattoos and body piercings. Right? Lots of Christians think that no Christian should ever drink alcohol in any quantity. I grew up with some of those folks. Some people think that homeschooling is the only right way to educate your child. Other people think 
No, no, Christian school is the only right way to educate your child. Other people will tell you, well, if you do those two things, you've lost your witness in the culture, and so public school is the way for Christians to educate their children. What does the scripture say? Nothing about any of those. These are all personal convictions. These, all these things are issues of personal conviction that the scripture nowhere specifically commands us to obey. In fact, they are largely issues about which the scripture is completely silent. So the question is this, can we love each other in spite of our differences? Differences in behavior, differences in appearance, differences in conviction about various issues about which the scriptures either don't speak or say very little. Can we love each other even when our convictions on non-moral issues are different? The scripture says, yes, not only we can, but we must. So let's look at the scripture here together. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now let me give you a little background on these verses. The majority of the Roman church, the, the, the people to whom the book of Romans is originally addressed, is uh, the majority of these people within that body are converted Gentiles. They come out of a pagan idol-worshiping background. You know, you remember when you took mythology class way back when and you learned about Jupiter and Hera and Ares and all that? These are people who, who offered sacrifices to those gods. And they, and they, as part of those sacrifices, you know, they would sacrifice a pig or a goat or whatever else. And then a after the sacrifice was, was offered at the temple, what the priests did was they would take the meat out the back door and they would sell it to a local butcher. And then the butcher would take it down to the market and then he would sell it just for public consumption, whatever, right? Because one thing that's true about idols is they don't eat. And so uh, they don't do anything, right? They're made out of a rock or made out of... Uh, some mineral out of the ground or they're carved out of wood or so forth, right? They don't eat the sacrifice, so the priests have got to do something with it. Well, I know what we'll do. We'll make some money and we'll sell it in the public meat market. And, and so there were some people converted out of that background who went, you know what? The idol is nothing. It has proved itself to be nothing. It never did anything for me. And, and so if I go and buy meat in the meat market, that's no big deal, and pass the bacon, all right? There were some people out of that background in the church who, who didn't see any big deal with eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol a few minutes previous to when they bought it from the butcher. No big deal. But there were a lot of people within the church, and they were a minority, 
who were Jewish people. And what's the first commandment in the Jewish law? You shall have no other gods before me. Second one, you shall not take and make a graven image of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath. Nothing that looks like a human, nothing that looks like an animal, nothing that looks like a fish, nothing that you imagine that's out there in the heavens somewhere. You're not to make any idols. And here, you people are eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, and that is a problem. And because they lived in Rome, the only meat markets there are, it's not like you can go down to, um, you know, Joseph Abramowitz, the kosher butcher, Right? Um, you've got to go to the public meat market, and all that meat is from where? The idol temples. And so they just said, you know what? We're going to be vegetarian. We're just not going to eat meat anymore. We're just all going to be vegetarians, and that'll keep us from being contaminated by where this meat has come from. And so you've got division within the body of Christ there in Rome over what is okay to eat. Some people are like, you know what? Barbecued goat is tasty meat. Bring it. Right? I'm in that group. <laughs> okay. Uh, other people have, have scruples about where it came from, and it bothers them. And here you have an opportunity for two groups of people based on their differences over something that God has not said, to look down on each other and consider themselves to be more spiritual. Well, I'm more spiritual because I don't eat. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm more spiritual because I do, because I recognize that the idol is nothing. And you should enjoy your freedom in Christ more, brother. Well, what do we do in this kind of situation? Look at verse 1. It tells us, it says, We welcome people in and we accept one another, regardless of their opinion on various non-moral, non-biblical, non-biblically defined issues. And we welcome them in for one reason. It is because we love them and they are our brothers and sisters. We do not welcome them in, look at the text here, do not welcome them in to quarrel over opinions. Right? Is that possible that people in the body of Christ would do that? That they would welcome somebody in because they're going to fix them? Right? We're gonna, we'll get them in here and then we'll convert them to our way of operating. We'll make sure that they... Think what we think on all of these non-defined issues. We're going to get them in and make them think and act and behave and all that like us. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, and hear God's voice on this. If your brother who is weak in faith comes, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then... It says after that, that you love each other instead of despising each other. One person he believes he can eat anything. Weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who doesn't. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. In other words, whichever side of this you're on, you love each other. You don't look down on each other. Christians can be good at that. They're looking down 
on somebody who has made other choices and regarding them as, well, they must be immature in the faith because if they were more grown up, they would think like me. Because after all, I'm the standard, right? That's what we tend to think. Here in this passage, he's talking about people who, who do eat and they have come to think of themselves as the mature ones, so they call themselves the strong. And they refer to the, the brothers who don't eat as the weak. How'd you like to have that as your label? Oh, I must be one of the weak ones because I have convictions about this that you don't share. I have seen, let me just say this just personally, I have seen churches divided and destroyed over this kind of thing. Over things that the, that the scriptures do not clearly say one way or the other. One of our sister churches, uh, sister EFCA churches, that I am personally familiar with was destroyed over the issue of where you send your kids to school and what kind of school you send them to. A congregation of 160 people turned into a congregation of 30 people, which turned into a congregation of 10 people, which turned into sell the building. Fact. Happened. What does scripture say about school? It says, raise your child to know the Lord. And talk about him when you lie down and when you rise up and when you walk along the road. Doesn't say anything about any method in particular being the righteous one. So we've got to be careful with this. We don't judge and we don't despise one another. We don't look down on each other because, peop because here's the thing. God accepts people with a variety of convictions on these things. And judgment isn't our role. It's God's and his alone. And more than that, God is able to make all of us, whatever our convictions on these non-moral issues are, even if they're not identical, look at the text. God is able to make him stand. So as an example, you believe you have the freedom to drink alcohol. You do. Simply speaking, you have that freedom. It's not a requirement. You don't have to. You're not more spiritual if you do. You're not less spiritual if you don't. You're not more spiritual if you don't. And less spiritual if you do. You have the freedom on this. Now you may come out of a background where you grew up in a home with lots of alcohol abuse. And have decided for yourself, my, my personal conviction is I'm out on this, right? Now, is that okay? Yes. You may come from a background where everything was screwed down tight and defined for you. And on finding out that you have freedom, you say, you know what? Margaritas are tasty with hot tortilla chips. And you have one. Or you have a glass of champagne on your anniversary. Is that okay? Yes. Enjoy your freedom in Christ. Okay? 
But don't look down on those who have different convictions than you. Because sometimes God gives personal convictions that are meant to guide you each individually. It's a personal relationship with Christ that God has with us. It's not just something that that's a one-size-fits-all deal in every circumstance. And God has given us freedom to have our own convictions on some things. And we should follow those. All right, let's move on here. Look at verse, beginning verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 5 tells us that sometimes people differ in their convictions, and that is not only okay, but whatever your convictions are, you should hold to them firmly. In your own mind. So in some, so, it, so for example, in this case, some people kept the Sabbath, primarily Jews, kept the Sabbath, and other people, primarily Gentiles, did not. And they did it, they did it out of spiritual reasons in both cases. The Jews kept the Sabbath because out of their Jewish background, they went... You know what? God told us back in the Old Testament law to keep the Sabbath. And after all, God rested on the seventh day and he made it holy. And so I'm going to keep that and I'm going to have a day set aside for rest and worship. A day when I don't do anything except recreate and worship God to honor the Lord. Now, in our house, we we try to keep that. I don't think I have to. The New Covenant says nothing about uh, honoring the Sabbath. And that's why the Gentiles didn't keep it. Because Jesus never said you have to keep the Sabbath. Paul never says you have to keep the Sabbath. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament does it say you must keep the Sabbath as a New Covenant believer in Christ. You don't have to do that. But you can it's okay if you do, right? So in Sundays at our house, you know, we're pretty low-key. We come to church in the morning, we go to Sunday school, we, we, we fellowship in between services, we, we come here, we worship God. Then we go home, and a lot, of, a lot of Sunday afternoons, we take a nap. If football is on, we watch football. Dinner is get your ownie, right? That's what we call it, Right? Uh, kids come back and go to youth group the high school kids come back and go to youth group at night and you know boys and I are going hunting this afternoon it's just a day for recreation and rest because we, we feel like this is a good practice for our family but you know what if you have to work on Sunday I understand you got stuff you got to do I understand if you don't have a conviction about that it's okay but it's something that we felt like is a good practice for us. 
But you're free to have whatever convictions you want on that. You're not required to do one or the other. And, and he says here uh, that whatever, whichever one you're doing, whether you're eating meat, whether you're not eating meat, you're doing so in honor of the Lord. What do you do when you pray? I mean, when you have your meal, you sit down and you pray, right? And I don't know about you, but when I have ribs in front of me or chicken wings or whatever it is, I praise God for that, right? I say, oh, Jesus, thank you for making the pig or the chicken, right? Or, you know, if it's a special occasion, the ribeye, right? I praise God for that, right? If you are a person who eats only vegetables, you can praise God for the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts, right? If you cook them in bacon, they taste a lot better, okay? That's all I can say on that. But, but you praise God for it either way is the point. Praise God either way. And on top of that, we do not belong to ourselves. That's the point that he's making there in verse 7, 8, and 9, that that whatever we do, whether we're alive, whether, we're di- whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Because Jesus is Lord over not only all of these decisions, but over all of us as people. And so we are not our own. We, are, we belong to Him. And if He has given us freedom, we should enjoy it. According to whatever convictions we have. We get to enjoy that choice. And, G- and he reminds us, verse 9, that Jesus died and lived again that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. In other words, whatever circumstance in life you are, even if you are dead, Jesus is Lord over, your, over you and your life, even in your death, that Jesus might reign over all things. And so the objective here is not that we have a uniformity of conviction, but that we have a recognition that Jesus is Lord over each individual person. And so then I don't have to be Lord over each individual person, right? And you don't have to be either. Because they've already got one. Sometimes at our house, I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else, but sometimes the older ones at our house like to parent the younger ones. Right? And we, we say to them, you are not a parent. Let us parent your brother or your sister or whatever, right? Keep your nose out. They do not need another parent. They've already got two, right? Well, the same thing, that's Paul's point here. That Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for them. Jesus died for you. And, and because he is Lord over both those with scruples and those with less, when we die, we give account to him, ultimately, and not to each other over these things. Uh, and that's actually the point of verses 10 through 12, that Jesus is the one to whom we're all going to give account. Look at verse 10 through 12 here. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Now, I remember a conversation once upon a time with my mother. We were in the car, and, and I asked her, 
I said, Mom, you know, if, if it's true that all real Christians believe in Jesus, and we all read the same Bible, and believe in the same Jesus, then why don't we all agree on everything? And this is what she said. I think this is a wise statement. She said, well, son, I expect that the Lord will straighten every one of us out one day. We all have some things we're right about, and some things we're wrong about, and the Lord will straighten us all out one day. And I think that's kind of Paul's point here. That we don't need to spend a lot of energy trying to make everybody else in the body of Christ look and speak and act and think and drink and eat and so forth just like we do. We don't need to do that on these non-moral issues. On issues of personal conviction, issues where the Scripture does not speak clearly and specifically, then you should keep your convictions between yourself and God and not pass judgment and not look down on other people who think differently. Why not? Because God, the Scripture says, will call all of us to account for ourselves on our own one day. In other words, when it says we must all stand before the judgment seat of God, that means individually. It doesn't mean collectively. Individually, we're going to stand before the Lord and He's going to give an evaluation. And, and, and by the way, this is not a ter- meant to be a terrifying thing. We are the children of the living God. We do not come under God's judgment in the same way as the unbelieving. But this is very much like the Olympics. And you know, if you've watched if you've watched any of the individual type sports where people are personally evaluated, you know, you watch figure skating, or you watch skiing, or you watch uh, snowboarding, or you watch whatever, right? They they give scores for individual performance. And according to your individual performance, they get a score, and then the top scores get gold, silver, bronze medals, right? Well, the idea is the same, that when you stand before the judgment seat of, of God, you and your life will be individually evaluated, and you will uh, be asked maybe some questions about, well, why did you make that choice? Well, what did you do with this? And you'll have to give account for your life. What you will not have to do is give account for somebody else's choices and the way their life turned out. We all individually stand or fall in our own evaluation before the Lord. And it's a good thing. Because we're being evaluated not for heaven or hell, but for what kind of reward we get. So, and when it comes to these things, you, if you, whatever convictions you have, you need to live by them. And then not worry about what somebody else's convictions are. Let them live by theirs, because we're all going to have to give account for ourselves individually one day. Because as the Scripture says, every knee will bow before the Lord, every tongue will confess to God, and each of us will give our account. 
And, we will, and God will lovingly and justly evaluate how each of us did, how well we lived for Him that we might receive our reward. Whatever reward we are due, God will give to us. Now, just a, a few quick things here, application in the text. I think the, the application in this text is pretty obvious. Uh, that it's hard to read this and not get a, a real clear sense of what it is that God wants us to do and how we treat each other in the body of Christ. But just in case anybody missed it, let me just underline a few things here real quickly. Number one, do not judge, do not look down your nose at, do not despise, pick whatever word you want out of the text, people with different convictions. Now again, I am not talking about, and the scripture here is not talking about things where God has said very clearly, do this and do not do that. There are some things, in, there, in fact, there are many things in Scripture that are just exactly that clear. Where God says, don't do that if you follow Jesus, and do this instead. There are lots of those. But there's all kinds of other issues where, where God has not spoken. Can I get a nose ring? Read your Bible. Is it in there? No. In fact, the only time that it appears is in a positive sense with Rebecca. All right? Rebecca gets one and she's going to marry Isaac. Right? Can I get one? Well, in my house, you better be 18. <laughs> and I'm not paying for it. Right? But can you have one? Yeah. Can you have one? Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Don't judge people who have different convictions. Where the Scripture speaks clearly, do this, do not do that by way of command. Well, sometimes the appropriate thing to do in the body of Christ is to come alongside and lovingly bring accountability into somebody's life. But there's a whole bunch of issues where the Scripture doesn't do that. And we need to take responsibility to keeping our nose out of somebody else's business. On issues of conviction rather than command, accept and love your brothers and sisters who think differently. Number two, live your life to please the Lord knowing that you personally are going to give account of yourself one day. One day, we're going to stand before the judge's seat. And again, this is not heaven or hell judgment. This is uh, bronze, gold, silver judgment. And I want to receive my reward, and I want it to be a great reward. And so I want to to live in such a way, and I want you to live in such a way, that we receive a great reward from the Lord. And recognizing that that day is coming, one of the things we need to do is love each other in the body of Christ. Because that's part of the evaluation. How did you love your brothers and sisters? 
How did you love your brothers and sisters who thought and acted and did differently than you? How well did you love them? That's part of the evaluation. And then number three, live out the Lord's leading in your life. Knowing that God loves people who have different convictions. Knowing that you're going to be evaluated on how well you love people who have different convictions. You still need to live out the convictions God has put in your life. And be faithful to those. And you need to be thankful to God for leading you to do those things. You know, I mentioned that, you know, we, we on Sunday, we keep that day for rest and for worship and for recreation. And it has been a great blessing to me since we started doing that. And it is, you know, it has been a lot of fun. And I praise God for it. It's Sunday. Nap time, right? It's Sunday, Karen thinks, the day I don't cook, right? It's Sunday, the day that we're going to shoot squirrels or whatever, you know? Uh, it's Sunday, it's a day for blessing and for rest and for worship. And we enjoy that and we praise God for it. And we try to live that out. You know, now if I have to go to the hospital on Sunday afternoon, see somebody, that's no big deal. doesn't wreck my life or anything like that, right? But nevertheless, we try to live out that conviction. And whatever convictions you have about these kinds of things, live by them. Enjoy the freedom you have. If you want a tattoo, get one. You want to have a margarita? Have one. If it's a healthy choice for you, go ahead. Enjoy it, right? You want to homeschool your kids? More power to you. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. I, for one, am very glad that we were able to send our kids off to the professionals early in their life. Right? Kept everybody alive at my house. Right? Um, but whatever your convictions are, live them out and enjoy the freedom that you have. Understanding that one day you're going to give an account for your life as you're evaluated by the Lord. Amen? So, I'm going to let you out early today. I apologize. But uh, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us great freedom to enjoy in the body of Christ an opportunity to, to have personal convictions that we follow and uh, an individualized relationship with you that we are not all cookie-cutter people that come from the same background, have the same opinions, have the same thoughts about everything. But you have given us freedom on lots of areas of life to make a decision and then to live by it and to give praise to you for it. Father, we thank you for that freedom. We thank you that we are not just constrained little robots in our relationship with you, but you have given us uh, the ability to make these choices. Help us, Father, to love each other well and to not look down on those who have different convictions than we do, but to accept each other and to love each other and to understand that all of the diversity in the unity of the body of Christ 
is uh, something you have planned, something you desire, and something you are glorified by. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.